0: I want to read some verses from that familiar story of Christmas in the second chapter of the book of Luke, verses 8 through 11. Sometimes familiarity brings and breeds indifference, and so we don't even turn to that sometimes. But I want you to look at that story again. Timeless and relevant and wonderful. Verse 8. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A number of years ago, a song went to the top of the country hit parade partly because Anne Murray sang it, but mostly because it expressed the longing of every person on earth. It goes something like this. I rolled out this morning and the kids had the morning news show on. Bryant Gumbel was talking about the fighting in Lebanon. Some senator was squawking about the bad economy. It's going to get worse to see. We need a change in policy. There's a local newspaper rolled up in a rubber band. One more sad story is one more than I can stand. Just once now, I'd like to see the headlines say, not much to print today, can't find nothing bad to say, for nobody robbed a liquor store on the lower side of town, nobody OD'd, nobody burned a single building down, nobody fired a shot in anger, nobody had to die in vain, I sure could use a little good news today. I'll come home this evening. I'll bet the news is the same. Just once I'd like somebody takes a hostage, somebody steals a plane. Just once. I'd like to hear the anchor man talk about the county fair, how we cleaned up the air, how everybody learned to care. Oh tell me. Nobody was assassinated in the whole darn world today. And in the streets of violence, all the children had to do was was play. And everybody learned to love everybody. In the good old USA, I sure could use a little good news today. And so could I. I sure could use a little good news today. My newspaper this week had five headlines, four of them were bad. Murder on the plane was planned. Man 19 years old charged in triple slaying. Triple slaying ends two years of terror. Nicaragua may try down U.S. pilot. I sure could use some good news. The scene has changed but it's no different. So could these shepherds. They were not recipients of good news. Or why should they be? Nobody cared anything about these ignorant nomads who lived out on Judean hills. As a matter of fact, in the days when Herod was king, their vocation was held in contempt. And they were despised even by the rabbis because their isolation out in the hills made the regular and faithful attendance of worship impossible. It was a bad day to be alive in ancient Israel. Politically, Augustus was king in Rome. Herod was governor in Palestine. And if you know anything about history at all, you know something about these rogues. Sociologically, they were more bond than free. They were more hungry than filled. And the philosophies of men could neither satisfy nor save. Religiously, the ritual of the temple was empty and barren and meaningless. And the heathen gods of the pagans were impotent and their oracles were mute and the people were crying for a little good news. No good news today. Until one day when all of heaven broke out in song and the first words that were announced to that dark and dismal world were these, don't be afraid, for I bear good news. I come this morning to bring a little good news for a change. The good news of Christmas is this, that time is going somewhere. I suppose that everybody, sometime or another, has to come to grips with time. And somewhere along the way, every human being feels threatened by the irreversibility of time's one-way flow. We're not getting any younger. And time is getting away from us. And even though clocks tick off time in equal measure, we do not experience time equally. So sometimes we feel we say, time flies, and other times we say time hangs heavy on my hands. And each one of us is aware this morning how precious time is and how we ought to use it wisely. And all of us are guilty of having wasted time. Where has all the time, the time gone? And I suppose that in our most cynical moods, we would all have to agree with the sage. What is life except that man kills time until time kills him? But the ultimate question with regard to time is this, does it have any meaning and is it going anywhere? Lauren Isley gives us a little vignette of life as he encountered it one night, one weekend on a train headed out of New York City. It was midnight and he was exhausted and so he makes his way into the smoking car to relax. He said, as I sat down I noticed an old Man in front of me, pale and poor and disheveled, an old derelict, half dead. He clutched in his lap, he said, a little paper sack twisted around the top of a bottle, the only possession he had to his name. Listen to him as he tells the story. By degrees the train filled as it jerked its way into the dark. Tickets bawled the conductor as he shouldered his way into the smoking car. I had one eye fastened on the old derelict in front of me. They rode the trains all the time. It was the same until they were thrown off by the conductor. Tickets demanded the conductor and everybody was watching for the usual to happen. But what happened was much more terrible. Slowly the old derelict opened his eyes. Slowly a stick-like arm plunged into his pocket and produced a roll of bills, give me He spoke and his voice was like the croak of a crow in a churchyard. Give me a ticket to wherever it is. Where is time going? To wherever it is. Is time going anywhere? There are some cultures who would say no. Time is circular and cyclic and repetitive. It's like the continuous showing of a movie that has no beginning or end. When I was a student at Hardin-Simmons, the custodian in the science building was a black man named Otis, the most unique man I've ever met. He dipped snuff, and that was before Skoll and Copenhagen, and he had little tins of snuff, light, and he kept every one. They were piled in mountains in the bottom of that science building, enough tin down there to make a 747. Otis drove an old light green pickup truck with hand-painted signs all over it. One day I started across the campus, stepped up to the crosswalk, saw Otis's truck there trembling and shaking. Above the windshield, these words hand-painted, here comes Otis. As he took off around the campus in a barrage of smoke, letting off the clutch, the old truck trembling, the back tailgate, the, this sign. The world is moving, and I am too. The world is moving around and around on its axis like time, fixed on an axle like a wheel. It just keeps on grinding, and it just keeps on turning, going nowhere. It was just like that for these shepherds. The endless treadmill of life going nowhere. Today is the same as yesterday. Tomorrow will be the same as today. Time grinds on, killing time, until time killed them. Until one morning, one night, God burst into life. And because He was born in the fullness of time, after ample preparation in time, With a future of mission and purpose in time, he taught us that we can view life, time, in a different way. We see time in a linear way. We see time moving on an upward slant. It is significant that after the birth of Jesus, time was marked forward and backward to that centering event. It means that... Time has a beginning and an end. It means that God is in control of time. It means that every year is ono domini, the year of our Lord, so that every moment is of Him and for Him. It means that time is moving on that upward slant to Him when time is no more. The good news of Christmas is time is going somewhere. The good news I have for you this morning is that history is his story. The fatalist says that history is the result of the natural necessities. That mindless forces move life along and that there is no transcendent reference point to life and that there are no real concrete forms of meaning. The Romans said history is our story. And we'll write it as we plan and you'll live it as we want it. The Pharisees said history is our story. And so they rewrote the scriptures and redid the laws and replanned the plan until Christmas Day when God broke in to proudly announce that history is His story. It is not something to be endured. History is something to be gladly and thankfully received as the theater of His work and glory. It means that God has broken into life at brutal levels, that He's come to where men really live in the cold, hard realities of pain and bleeding and suffering to loneliness and depression to heartache and despair, he has come to where men agonize and weep, to where they they agonize over the collapse of the stock market and the Dallas Cowboys. He has come to life level. Where she was kind of explaining that, and she. Wanted to know, did anybody there have a you know, suggestion as to why that could be true, that there are more twins born now than ever before in history? One little boy raised his hand and suggested that the reason why more t- twins were born now than ever before is because children were afraid to come into life alone. It's a pretty insightful answer. Because there's something terribly frightened about frightening about living alone. There is something terrifying about the darkness where God is not. And so these shepherds went out every day to the same place in that terrifying reality that they were alone in the struggle until He came. I heard the clink and the clank signaling the coming of the postman the other day. At our house, one of the big events is to race to see who gets to the you know, the mail first. I lost. So my wife and daughter got the Christmas cards and the letters and I got the bills. <laughs> Electric bill and the gasoline bill and the, and the uh, uh, phone bill. Why don't those people leave us alone? You know, I mean, especially at Christmas time. Why don't they let us have our happiness in certain seasons and our misery and other, other months? Well, it's because History is made up of the mix of Christmas and bells. There is always the linkage of the cradle and the star. There's always Caesar and God. There is always the lowly shepherds and the exalted angels. There is always this linkage of heaven and earth because God has come into history at concrete levels. He's come to Christmas and bells. The good news of Christmas is that it's his story. The good news of Christmas is that God is now here. Emmanuel, God with us. How far is it from heaven to the hills of Judea? How far is it from the halls of glory to the hearts of Bethlehem? How far is it? from God to shepherds I don't know how far that is but I know that God has spanned that distance how far is it from God to you how far is it from God to to your misery and your pain I don't know how far that is or how far it seems but I do know that God has spanned the distance He's now here I made a trip to the Holy Land two two years ago. It was a wonderful experience. I said then, I say now, that the thrill of that trip, the most exciting part of that trip for me, was to visit Bethlehem. Really was. Said that then, say it now. It happened to be on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, when we got there on our tour of, of, of Israel. And we went out to Bethlehem, to the place where it is supposed that the first announcement came of his birth. To the little grotto where Jesus was born, I was deeply moved by that. Nixon exalted when Armstrong put his foot down on the moon, The greatest event in the history of mankind is when man put his foot on the moon. Senator Hatfield in Oregon said, I beg to differ with Mr. Nixon. The greatest event in the history of mankind was when God put his foot down on the earth. And I stood one day where God put his foot down on the earth. Never to leave it, God is now here. Now when men think of God, they usually think of Him in thought forms like this. They think of Him as righteousness and majesty and power, and our thought forms of God are that He is a ruling monarch, He is the is omnipotent creator. But when we contemplate Christmas, the manner of His coming, the demeanor of His life, the the points of his suffering love as he traversed up and down his world. We have to reverse those concepts of God. Now, I'm not being flippant. He is still sovereign, and he's still transcendent, of course. Transcendent meaning that he is so utterly other. He is so extraordinary and His nature and being, that He's in a different league from us, but He's imminent, meaning that He is approachable and near and involved in our life. I tell you, God is now here. He's now here. What that means to me is two things. It means that I have a God who is accessible. Accessible. Buttrick said it here at Bushwell, speaking in a lecture hall, made a statement about God that changed his life. He said, everybody on this earth is, as, is immediately in the presence of God, just like everybody in this room is immediately in my presence. Immediately accessible and available. I walked into my mother's house Monday a week ago. So many memories there. I'd been there about an hour, beginning to make arrangements for her burial, and a lady came, the neighbor. This lady we had hired two or three years ago to stay with my mom while she was in those last years of her life. The same lady who had been married for 40 years. Last year her husband walked in told her he never loved her. He was leaving her. Not only did she have that grief, but this man somehow because of her total trust in him had so arranged that he had mortgaged the two farms that her father had bequeathed her at his death and he was so far in debt that she was going to lose those family farms. Probably have to move into a smaller house, sell her car. Not only did she have grief, but she had bitterness. And anger and I had my own grief and I found myself having to counsel her and then she said there are times when I go to bed at night and I pray that I'll never wake up and she said dear Catholic lady she said the only thing that keeps me going is this Gerald when I wake at 1 2 o'clock in the morning I sense his presence And I pray, she said, I pray to him and I feel his presence. It's the only thing that keeps me going. And she ministered to me of the accessibility and the availability of God. He's now here. Not only is he accessible, but he's active. When God approached Moses in the burning bush, Moses said, who are you? What do I say about you? What can I tell them about you? He said, you go to Egypt and you tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. I invite you sometime to look that structure up in the Hebrew. It means you go tell Pharaoh that the God who makes things happen has sent you. Now to these shepherds he must have seemed empty and impotent and powerless. The God who makes things happen. Anthony Flew says, gives a little fable, a little parable. He said two men went down, went into the deepest regions of the jungle and they were cutting their way through the jungle and they came on this clearing and there was a garden there. It had been cultivated. The rows were in symmetrical design. It is obvious there was a gardener. One of the men said, let's stay and see if we can meet the gardener. The other said, let's move on, let's move on. He said, no, let's wait. They waited. No gardener appeared. The second explorer said, maybe he's invisible. Let's put a wire around the garden and hang bells on it. And if he comes in the night, we can hear him. They waited. He didn't come. No bells rang. The second explorer said, maybe he's not only invisible, maybe he's immaterial. And the first said, listen carefully, he said, what is the difference between an invisible, immaterial God and no God at all Well, the answer screams out to us. The answer is obvious. The difference between an invisible, immaterial God and no God at all is the garden. Have you ever seen Him? Has your eyes ever looked upon Him? No man has ever seen God and lived, but we've seen His Garden. We've seen the design of God in life. We've seen Him at work, developing and cultivating and building and growing. We've seen Him at work. And we know that His activity is not just designable, His activity is redemptive. For this is the good news that He announced. You go shout it, you go tell it on the mountain that a Savior is born. A Savior. He didn't come to deliver them out of their ignorant nomadic lifestyle. He came to announce to them that they were free from their sin. Their sin was covered. Their sin was forgiven. Their sin was removed. They were redeemed. They had a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news of Christmas. And whatever else we say about the invasion of God in history to send time on its upward slant, we must say this, that God has moved in history for this purpose, to bring redemption from man's sin. One last thought, please. The good news of Christmas is that you are not what you fear yourself to be. I must confess to you this morning that I suffer sometimes a crisis of confidence. Some of you wouldn't believe that, but it's true. Physical inferiority. You can't watch the NFL football game this afternoon and not feel inferior to those Giants, you know, they run up and down the field. If they hit me, I'd break like a brittle stick. I know that I cannot do the things that I used to do. That bothers me, frankly. It drives me to jog every day. I don't want to see the face the inevitable dimin- diminishing of physical ability. Sometimes... I suffer a crisis of vocational confidence. I know that if I walked out of here today and left, there would be somebody else walk right back in here and do a better job than me. One of my best friends on this earth used to sit right here, David. Dear friend of me. He, he, he's gone. And now there's the anticipation that somebody else is coming. For nobody is indispensable. Sometimes I have a crisis, moral confidence. I look down inside of me and I see how bad I am. You know, the bad I would not do, I do. The good I would do, I don't. My failure, my broken promises, my sin, my, 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 my selfishness, and, and, and I I look inside of me and and I feel that crisis of moral, moral crisis. But then I read of Christmas and I know how special I am to God. And to these shepherds the announcement first came, sent them reeling on their way heads spinning with like heady wine was this good news. You men don't have much, but you are much. And because he's come to take my flesh, what greater compliment than that? that, that God would take my flesh and my blood and look like me because I'm special to him and you are special to him that night when in the Judean skies the mystic star dispensed its light a blind man moved in his sleep and dreamed that he had sight that night when shepherds heard the song of host angelic quiring near a deaf man Stirred in slumber spell, and dreamed that he could hear. That night, when in the cattle' stall, slept child and mother, cheek by joel, a cripple turned his twisted limbs and dreamed that he was whole That night. When o'er the newborn babe, the tender Mary rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night when to the mother's heart the little king was held secure, a harlot slept a happy sleep and dreamed that she was pure. That night, when the manger lay, the sanctified who came to save, a man moved in the sleep of death and dreamed there was no grave. I have a little good news for you this morning. He makes the blind to see, He gives hearing to the deaf. I have a little good news for you. He makes clean the lepers and pure the harlots. I have some good news this morning for a change. There is no death for the grave cannot hold his. I have some good news the good news of Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, in an age, in a time, in a world so sad, so discouraged, so depressed, say it again. I have some good news Lord for those of us today who need your touch your help your presence we pray move on our hearts today to see and do your will cause I pray in Jesus name there are three invitations this morning to which I encourage your your consideration an invitation for you to give your life heart and life to Jesus Christ you don't have to live in sin die in sin he has come to bring forgiveness pardon from sin to take that sin away to reconcile you to the Father he's come to save you He'll be your Savior if you ask Him. He'll save you from your sin if you'll let Him, if you'll say yes to Him. Anywhere, is there anybody, anywhere who would get up and come to say, I'm a sinner, i have lost, I'm separated from God. If I died, I'd go to an eternal separation. Would you come this morning to claim eternal salvation through Jesus Christ? You're trusting in Him. Is there anybody who would get up out of their seat and come today to say, I need a new beginning, a new walk, a new commitment of life to Christ. To walk in the victory that's available in Him. Or maybe to say, I want to place my life here in the church. Where the gospel is preached, where men and women live and serve and hope. Would you do it while we stand to sing?